we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Merry Christmas, dear listener. I hope you're having a great day. Here's a little present for you. A couple of discussions that we had earlier on in 2018. The first one with Brett on Conquered People and the second one with Matt on Tribalism. So sit back with a beer or some leftover ham or turkey or prawns or whatever else you've had for Christmas Day and relax and enjoy. And we'll be back with new content soon. I'm very well, Fist. How are you? I'm very good. But we don't have Scott with us. He's got something else on. He was... He was a bit um, secretive about what it was. A bit mysterious, is. was he? Yeah, so oh, we don't well. know what Scott's up to. but We'll have to dig deeper next time we speak with him. We will. could be up to anything, Scott. So just the two of us, and it'll be a bit different because last week we called for feedback from listeners if they wanted to discuss any topics, and three have come back. Wanting Excellent. To, yes, it is good. So let's see how we go. Hello, Brett speaking. Hello, Brett. It's it's the Iron Fist and the Twelfth Man here. G'day. How are you guys going? Going very well. How Hi, are you Brett. going? How are you? Good. Good, thank you. So you're okay to talk now? It's a good time? Yep, it's a good time. Great. So we're recording for the podcast, and unfortunately we don't have Scott with us, as you know, but... Um, um, but anyway, for the uh, listener, do you want to sort of give your feedback or, or what you wanted to say and, and we'll take it from there? Yep. Well, yeah. Um, first of all, I'd just like to say I really enjoy listening to you guys and really love the podcast. Um, I basically agree about 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. However, there is one area where I'd like to maybe give a bit of feedback and see if I can change the conversation a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's in regards to um, some things you guys have said about Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Now, there was one particular incident um, where the Velvet Glove said um, they've got to accept they are a conquered people. Mm-hmm. When this was in episode 121. Yep. And I, uh, I didn't really think that was. Um, Really good language to use. I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it really opens up for a good conversation and in getting positive change in our uh, in our country. Yep. If if you've got a minute, can I just I'll play about I think it's about a three minute excerpt from that that leads up to it. So are you okay if I do that at this point? Yep. Uh, yep. I'll play that now, um, and hopefully you'll hear it. Scott, have you ever been yeah. to Uluru? No, I never have. Right. And it's an area I've got to go and have a look at at some stage, but I can't climb the rock anymore. No. Article, dear listener. Um, climbing Uluru is said to be a thing of the past after the Uluru Kata Tijuta National Park Board decided unanimously to ban the activity starting in 2019. There you go, Scott, if you... If you're really keen, get there quick. Um, <laughs> the 
board made up of eight traditional owners and three representatives from national parks made the decision after consulting with the wider Anangu community who said it was overwhelmingly in support of banning climbing the rock. Uh, so it had deep cultural significance and was not a theme park. Um, quote from Senior Traditional Owner and Chairman of the Park Board, Sammy Wilsons. This is a quote from him. Some people in tourism and government, for example, might have been saying we need to keep it open, but it's not their law that lies in this land, he said. Oh. It's not their law that lies in this land. Okay. Mm. Um, whose law is it that lies in this land? You know, that's the thing that I find ridiculous about this, where they say it's not, it's not your law that marks this spot and all that sort of nonsense. It's absolute garbage to think that you can have two legal systems in the same country. It doesn't work. You know, they've got to accept that they are a conquered people. A horrible thing was done to them 200-odd years ago, but they've got to get over it. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, okay, which parts of that they have got to accept that they are a conquered people? Is it having to accept or is it being referred to as conquered people? What's Or is it both of those things? What's the actual? Um... I think it's, it's, it's both of those things together. Um, reminding a group that they've been conquered is probably a bit, you know, demeaning. If there were Indigenous people listening, they would be, I think, a bit... You know, pissed off, or you know, hurt by that. How would how would they like to be referred to? Do you think? Um, as Australians, I'm thinking. But, uh, yes, but in terms of what happened to the Aboriginal nation, how would how would they see it? They they would probably see it as conquered, but as you know, the the basic thing, you know, with the whole change the date and everything. Um, they see it as being invaded. Yes. So, so from so. I, I don't know. This um, here's one of the things with all of this is it's very hard to speak on behalf of a whole group as to what a whole group feels about something because invariably yeah. there'll be some people who who will say, "Yes, we are. We were conquered, and we're not happy about it, but we were conquered." And there'll be other people who say, well, the fight's still on and we're not conquered yet or, you know, some people Sorry. some people will actually be okay with that terminology. And um, I'll digress a little bit here, Brett, because it's interesting just from a legal point of view, um, using the words conquered or not make a big difference. So... In the olden days, when Britain was sailing the seas and landing on, you know, islands and places and declaring them part of Great Britain, um, what would happen was if there was already a civilization in place, then when the British arrived, it was said that they conquered those people. And in that situation, the way the laws worked were that the laws that were currently in place of that conquered nation would continue until British laws were promulgated which were in conflict with them. 
So the basic premise was all of the existing laws of the native people stay in place and the British, as they pass laws that are in conflict with those, will obviously supersede them. And the alternative situation was supposedly vacant territory that the British just moved into, where there was supposedly no body or no civilization. And in that situation, the way the law worked was that um, British law in full automatically transferred to the new land. So the new legal system of the, the legal system of that land was was the British legal system that you'd find in London at the time. So, um, so what happened with Australia was that uh, the British decided that the um, Aboriginal people were such a lowly civilization that in fact they weren't a civilization, and that we had a terra nullius, you know, vacant land, and that um, that so basically British law applied from day one. There was no Aboriginal law. And that was what was held to be the case until the Mabo decision. And when the Mabo decision came along, it actually said, and I'm sort of simplifying things here because it was a bit more complicated than this, but it sort of said, in essence, no, 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 that's not right. There was a proper people here. And again, I'm simplifying it, but they said, in, in, in essence, they were a conquered people. Therefore, the property law rights of the, the property law of Aboriginal people was in place, and it was only if the British or subsequent Australian governments passed a law in conflict with it that uh, it would expire. So they said there was a traditional native title that, you know, tribes controlled certain land areas. And if the Crown at no stage had granted any um, freehold title or um, pastoral leases or um, farming leases or, you know, anything like that, then essentially there'd never been any law made in conflict and so the native title survived. So, um, so in actual fact, I don't know if Scott was meaning to do this, but it was a bit of a backhanded compliment to call them a conquered people because it was an insult by the British that said they weren't conquered in the first place because they weren't even a civilization. So... Um, so being conquered actually means more rights for the Indigenous people. And, in fact, if they ever get into a court of law in the High Court arguing some sort of native title, you can bet your bottom dollar that they will, in fact, be arguing that they were a conquered people because it gives them more rights than otherwise. So that, a little aside. If that's interesting. Can I just um, weigh in there mm. then? Um, so, from what I remember, that, and I'm going back in my memory here. So, correct me if I'm wrong. You, we were talking. Of, you were talking about Uluru being closed off. Yes. So, if that um, particular council owns the rights, 
to Uluru. Okay, so Uluru. They have every right to then close it off. Yeah, here's what happens with Uluru, and I'm glad you asked. Um, it had the the crown had already alienated Uluru as a national park, so it had already, um, in a sense, created conflicting legislation which extinguished native title. So what happened with Uluru was that I think the Hawke government agreed to transfer the land back to the Indigenous tribe on the proviso that it was leased back to the Commonwealth as a national park. So um, a very specific situation there with Uluru where an original national park gazetting wipe out national ti- uh, uh, native title but then they agreed to give them title on the proviso that they lease it back so now you've got this council of sort of a combination of indigenous people and um national parks people in some sort of council deciding how the places run ah but then obviously whatever contract was used to lease it back mm-hmm did not specify that they did not have the right to close it off to traffic. Oh, it, it, it's up to the parties to sort of um, agree on those things. So I think, I think, I think it's quite. It seems to be the case that 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 council can make that decision that they're going to close it off. You know, I don't think that's in doubt that they can do that. Um, so. Um, Would that not be a violation of the agreement to lease it back for public use and public access? Well, you'd have to look at the terms of the document, but you could certainly lease something back. You know, we give you this land back on the proviso that you... um, Let us use it. ...lease it back as a national park, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, and we want you to manage it as a proper national park. Now, that... That doesn't necessarily mean they can't close off sections of it, as in climbing it. So you'd have to look at the actual documents to see the terms and conditions. But um, it's a case where native native title was extinguished, and we have a sort of a contractual rights, and you'd need to see the documents to see where they stand. So, so when the Aboriginal elder said, you know, it's not the laws of Australia that apply here; it's it's our laws. Well, that's not quite right. Um, and but anyway, so so on the so it might the, be a bit of a negotiation. Yeah. So just uh, getting back to that, um, um, Brett, where you said so Scott said they have got to accept that they are a conquered people. So in Scott's defence, I would say that conquered people is is um, uh, maybe he was inadvertently lucky, but um, <laughs> it's it's not necessarily an insult. It is actually. It would be insulting to say otherwise. Now, where you say the other thing aspect to it is the first part where he says they've got to accept. Um, I guess have you got a problem with that part as well? Is that true or, or not? Um, or, or do you still have I, a problem with I it? Would, I would just think, um, from my point of view, if you know, if Australia was invaded next year by the Chinese or uh, someone else, would we accept that? Well, or how many generations will we go down before we said, nah, clearly they wanted it more and we'll accept it? Well, we were invaded by the Japanese in the sense that they bombed Darwin. And 
um, you know, some pretty atrocious things were done to my father on the Burma Railway and Changi Prison, but I'm going there next week to have a great time, hopefully. So, um, uh, you know, it really annoyed me several years ago when Marcus Bagdatis was playing um, tennis at the Australian Open and there were these ethnic groups of who were fighting in the stands over tribal issues, you know, and it's happened with Serbs and Croats in in things like that where they'll identify as groups. You know, there's people in Europe are still fighting and arguing over fights that happened centuries ago. And it's, I mean, they can continue the, to hold a grudge if they want to, but you're only hurting yourself. I mean, we could continue to hold a grudge against the Japanese. Or the English for conquering Ireland. I, I, I personally have Irish ancestors. Yeah. Should I still hold a grudge against the English? It's, it just now, seems to me absurd. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that. Yeah. And I, I, that's where I come back to. I think the language used there is not the best to try and get to the point where we can, you know, let all this stuff go. Yeah, I think we could choose better language when we're discussing. And trust me, I don't have any answers for the whole, you know, problems with some, you know, some Indigenous people face. Not all of them, of course, because they're a wide-ranging group and all that. Mm. But yeah, I think we could choose better language in any discussions that we have in regards to the whole area, and that would help us bridge these gaps and for us to go forward as a nation. Yeah. See, sometimes, though, you need to be blunt about things, perhaps. I mean, sometimes it's hard to say in a nice way something that strikes at the very heart of somebody's identity or ideology without, you know you're going to offend them, but it's impossible not to because they've built up an identity or an ideology which is wrong. So, you know, I might that, say to a Christian, so, so I might would say to a Christian, you realise there's a fair chance that Jesus never existed. And, you know, to, and that could be extremely offensive to them and strike at the heart of, of their, of their core beliefs. But there's no nice way of saying it. Um, or I guess, well, I suppose oh, there is a nice way that? where you say, do yeah. you realise maybe he didn't exist rather than just saying he didn't exist? But it's <laughs> the mere fact of stating it is is the part that some Christians would say, well, you shouldn't even say that. Yeah, yeah. so I is, guess... Is what you're getting at. Okay, it? so Scott might can have I, said... Can I interject Yeah, for go a ahead. Moment. Sorry, yep. Um, is that similar to the uh, Australians, like the people who get up in arms when... Some indigenous people say they want to change the date, and you know some people go, "Oh no, we can't change the date. Possibly can't do that." It's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? Why are they getting so upset over a date? Yeah, maybe, but um, put it this way: the idea that Scott 
what Scott said where he said they have got to accept they are a conquered people, I guess you could say you realise it's not doing you any good continuing to argue over what happened 250 years ago. I mean, you could say it like that, but is that any more condescending? I mean, the idea, if you wanted to say to, if you wanted to convey the idea to the Aboriginal people that um, the best way forward for you is to identify as Australian and to, um, and to, and to um, embrace our entire community rather than trying to accentuate a division. I mean, how, how do you say that? What, what's the bit? How do you say that? There's some people that just, there's no way you can say that to some people without them going into shock over and, it. Indigenous that identity seems to be hardening, if anything, doesn't it, rather yeah. than softening. Yeah. But let me say this. What, mm. if, what if, say, the way to settle all this was for some of our cultural value, values to shift in the direction of the Indigenous thinking? Which values would you like to shift? I, I, I have absolutely no idea. So I have no opinion on that. I'm just wondering, would mm. we consider that as part of the solution? Can I say something about that? That's a really interesting issue that you raise um, because values are at the heart of any culture, aren't they, really? Now, some people might say, well, look, we'll get along a lot better if we can meet them halfway, if we can shift some of our values to better embrace or, 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 or mesh with some of their values. Um, I would say... Sorry, no. Um, Australian society is recognised by most people around the world as being one of the most successful, and the reason it's most successful, and it's not perfect by any means, don't get me wrong, but it's a relatively successful society because we do have certain core values like uh, fairness, uh, you know, equality of sexes, and and now you know we have marriage equality. We've finally achieved that. So if we were to say, well, in, you know, for the sake of um, com- intercommunal harmony, we should, for example, allow uh, mul- you know multiple marriage for Muslims, for ex- just as an example. I personally don't. I think that's regressive. I think that's going in altogether the wrong direction. I think with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, we should be saying, look, regrettable things happened. Um, Yes, it's been awful for a lot of you for far too long, but we want everybody to enjoy this country on equal terms. We will do whatever is required with the values we have of, you know, equality of access to opportunity, education, employment, whatever, we'll do whatever it takes to try to bring everybody to the same level of opportunity. But if we if we compromise on values, I think we're going to go down a slippery slope to a place we don't want to be, if, if that makes sense. 
Well, I, I would agree in like not allowing multiple marriages and stuff like that. Um, I was just putting forward a thought experiment and yeah. is there some things that we may compromise on but you're saying no not a single thing i wouldn't say not a single thing but i i think in terms of values like i, I wouldn't say no but i would just say well which ones yeah which I, ones? I would be open yeah. to it but i'd just say well which ones and we'll examine them one by one and say yeah that's a good idea like for example in some cultures you know there's a lot more uh, resp- uh traditionally um grandparents live with their families and help, you know, they're part of the family. And um, whereas our culture is now tending to shuffle people off into a retirement home, now you might argue, and I don't know if it's the case, that it, in a traditional value of in the Aboriginal community is that elders are retained within the, the younger family and looked after. And I'd say, that's a great value. You're right. That's something we should be encouraging. So it depends on what it is. Mm. So... There's lots of good ideas out there, but yes. cultures. But there are some others that may not be quite so palatable. And, and you know, cultures are evolving things. They have to evolve and grow. And I so. Know, Matt, I've heard you say that several times, and yeah. I thought, well, is there some way our culture can evolve and grow for the positive that will yeah. well, bring us all together? Yeah, well, that's one example where I reckon we could. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it might be more of the sort of communal living rather than discrete family living that might work. But who knows? It's open to people if that's what they want to do. So I would say, sure, I'd be willing to look at any ideas from any culture. And that's the beauty of cultures is we pick and choose and cherry pick bits and pieces that we want to adopt and... But discard those that we don't want to. Hang on, isn't that cultural appropriation? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, uh, that's I'm, right. Not, I'm not part of the regressive left. <laughs> no, <laughs> Actually, didn't Noel Pearson some years back um, say that you know the government had to stop treating Aboriginal people as if they wanted to live in the past, you know, with communal ownership of everything and grant uh, freehold title to individual Aboriginal? Um, Landholders. I think he did say things like that. It was quite a few years ago that he came out with that. Probably could have because there's some Aboriginal people who definitely think like that. Yeah. I guess the other thing, um, one of my mates is a barrister who does a lot of mediation and he said that ultimately what you're doing is just giving people a forum to tell their story. And once they've got their story off their chest and they've had a chance to tell it and everybody's heard it, then they're much more amenable to some sort of compromise um, situation. Um, So um, I guess I would like to say to the Aboriginal people, you know, you... uh, Tell us how you think it should have transpired history. In an ideal planet, how realistically do you think it should have transpired? So tell us. And I'd be really keen to hear the alternative history version that they realistically think could have happened. So, Yeah, I, I think I'm more interested in focusing on 
the future and how we're going to come together and I, I am too, but, people, but it seems to me that our Indigenous brothers and sisters aren't ready to move on to the future because they keep arguing about the past, and that's really what Scott was getting at, is um, are you, you, know, you going to drop the fight and the, the past because in order to move on, that's what you're going to have to do. So one scenario I'm thinking of is to say, well, how do you reckon it should have panned out? You tell us how it should have happened, and it obviously can't, but maybe in doing that you'll recognise that that pretty much what happened in the course of human history was inevitable the way it panned out and that we're all just um, pawns in a much bigger game. and We're leaves in the wind, aren't we? <laughs> Yes, and that what happened to you is not extraordinary and was always going to happen. And or, or another thing, just to get them thinking about it, would be to say, "Okay, you're uh, you're in a, you've travelled back in a time machine, you know, to four hundred years ago. What are you warning? What are you? What's the advice you're giving the Aboriginal people that will make any difference to the situation that we're in now in two thousand and eighteen? What what advice could you possibly give them?" That would make any difference. So, and I just think, I think a bit of Buddhist philosophy of acceptance is kind of what Scott's getting at, and is kind of what's you know, if 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 we're all going to share cultures here, let's introduce a little bit of sort of Buddhist uh, acceptance of what's happened in order to otherwise just have permanent suffering. But anyway, that's. It's not an original thing to say, but um, you know, you could you could speculate as to if the British hadn't arrived, who you know what which imperial power would have, because it was absolutely, as Scott says, inevitable that somebody was going to arrive on these shores and say, "Looks like a nice piece of real estate." If it weren't the British, it would have been the French or the Spanish or the Portuguese or the Dutch or the Germans or somebody or, or maybe the Chinese or the Japanese. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's inconceivable that this huge resource-rich piece of real estate would have, lay, would have been just left to the Indigenous people um, mm. for, forever. It's just inconceivable. Yeah. And who, no, you know, who would have been, who would have been better? I'm not saying the British were were very nice, but you know, it's arguable that they they could have been treated even worse than they were. And just one final point is, you know, the tribes that are currently custodians of different patches of land, you know, who did they fight and who did they conquer in order to get that patch of land? I mean, was that tribe always the ones? In control of Uluru, or did that was there a big battle 200, 300, 400 years earlier where one tribe wiped out another tribe in a tribal conflict? And, and have they got claims to it? Where do you stop? So, that is an interesting question that I've thought of for a while. Is we have no idea of that sort of history. Mm. With our Aboriginal people, and I think that's one of the greatest losses that we've had. Mm. We've had like the oldest continuous culture on the planet, and we've lost all ability to study how they, you know, how they survived, how how they interacted for so long, 
how, how they reached equilibrium and such. Yeah. How well, often did they? How often did they war? How often did they make peace? All that sort of thing. If if they're like the fascinating rest, fascinating to know that. If they're like the rest of the Homo sapiens on the planet, then there was a you know plenty of wars and conflicts and killings and we murders could, and we could make some pretty good educated guesses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it would have been interesting to have another data point. Yes. There were anthropologists, of course, studying the Aboriginal people. Um, throughout the 20th century and some some quite interesting um, people out there in the middle of Australia and all over Australia, in fact, you know, studying them. And uh, before even all, our, all the Indigenous people uh, ceased their traditional, you know, nomadic lifestyle, there were, there were some. Anyway, um, uh Brent, I reckon we've sort of covered a fair bit I've of it. A if, bit of time. Yeah, if you you got anything else you wanted to add to it or any other? No, just yeah. thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk, and thank you for listening to me. No worries. And how did you find the pod? How did you come across us in the first place, Brent? You know, um, the Secular Party website. Ah, okay, was right. where I originally picked it up. Right. I've been listening for uh, a year or a bit, year or more now. Great. And became a patron yep. a few months back. Thanks. And whereabouts do you live? Um, in central Queensland. Right. Okay. Yep. We were just talking to another listener just before about how important it is to have face-to-face interactions with people, not just online. So um, if you're ever in Brisbane, look us up and we'll have a beer or something. How about that? Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So when you come to Brisbane, let us know. Will do. Okay. Alrighty, Brett, thanks okay. for that. And um, keep Thank listening you. and we'll be in touch down the track. Okay. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, Brett. Bye. That was good. It was good chat. Not Not beer. Beer. <laughs> yeah. I run fifth in a vibe with love. Real shit. I'm liking this. Hello, this is Matt. Matt, it's it's Trevor, the Iron Fist, and Paul, the twelfth man here. Hi, Matt. Hi, guys. How are you going? Going going really well. Good to speak to you. So you're you contacted us, and you were wanting to talk about dealing with tribalism. Um, well, I think maybe um, I'd phrase that a bit incorrectly now, um, but yeah, that that's the general gist, I suppose. Um, in particular, like. The, the impersonal way that people end up getting into these, uh, you know, online arguments and things like that. And they sort of just end up picking sides unthinkingly. And then before you know it, you know, they're dug in like ticks um, and basically looking like Muppets over nothing. It gets pretty ugly, doesn't it? Uh, it can, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Hugh Harris Facebook page I mentioned last week and it was on again for young and old on Hugh's page again this week and it really was all over um, the definition of atheism and an atheist and an agnostic uh, was what they were arguing over this week. And, yeah, it was <laughs> right. yeah, pretty, um, pretty intense. So got any theories as to uh, how to avoid it, Matt, or um, or deal with it? Deal with it. Um, 
Yeah, maybe. So I, I guess you know, what, what, the main thing in trying to trying to deal with something that you think is a problem is try and understand it, right? So one of the main problems is the nature of social media itself, um, and that you, you just don't have any of these like personal cues that you would if you were talking face to face or even just talking on the phone, mm. like we are now. I remember something from when I was a kid, I saw a documentary that had, uh, you know, John Cleese in it and he was talking about the human face. And for a long time, that sort of explained uh, why road rage is a problem to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think I sent, sent you that link a few days ago. You, but you did. I had a look at it. Yep. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a pretty similar problem. Uh, and just to explain that briefly um, to the to the listeners, I suppose... The reason you don't get footpath rage like you do with road rage is that you have these little interpersonal cues. You know, if you bump into someone, you might have a little glance or a little whoops, sorry, or, you know, some, some sort of body language uh, or personal contact that just sort of smooths things over. You know, it's another human that you're interacting with and um, it's okay. Whereas if you're out on the road and this car sort of cuts you off or tries to kill you or does something that you know you, you think is a bit outrageous. Mm. Even even pretty calm people, myself included, can get you know pretty um pretty aggro about that. And I think the main reason is that y- you just don't have those interpersonal cues. Like if you actually catch up to them and maybe see that there's some old lady who dropped their glasses or something, you go, oh well, all right, sorry. You know, once you sort of understand the the situation that. The other person is in you you tend to do uh, you know soften yeah, um, that's that's one side of the equation that if you're on is, the receiving yeah. end of poor behavior or potentially poor behavior or something you might interpret as poor behavior or misinterpret the, the cues can be sent to show that it's a mere accident and unintentional and not to mm. take it so seriously so that's true um so face-to-face helps that. The other side it of the does, equation, yeah. though, Matt, is is when people are faceless, you, you know, what you're saying is good, face-to-face helps avoid misunderstandings, but when people are faceless, they do, I think, tend to be just more belligerent and aggressive and nasty, we hiding, see an be- hiding behind their facelessness. We see an example of that, that kind of deliberate uh, concealment in uh, some of the Antifa protests, don't we, where people deliberately show up with masks on mm. in order to act out publicly behaviours that if their face was uncovered, they may not be quite so uh, free with, Yeah, do you think? Yeah. yeah. Well, an- an- anonymity definitely does um, give, so I suppose, certain people, um, you know, kind of license to to basically just be a dick. And mm. you know, I think you know the antifa thing is a is an extreme example because they are actually physically going out there. But um, you know, obviously, in you know online situations, they're a lot more common. Um, you know, people do feel anonymous. Yes. And. You know, for, for some reason, you know, these things tend to come out and you just end up acting completely different. Like you say a lot of things. Well, I try not to, but a lot of people do. You just say something that you, know, you would never think of saying that in real life to another person. Mm. And yeah, things, yeah, things can get pretty nasty. Mm. 
I actually offered on the Hugh Harris Facebook page because the comment thread was like 50 comments long with these people just at each other. I said, guys, how about you come, we record an interview on the podcast where you can verbally say all these things and nut it out and um, I'll make you an offer. You know, if either of you is unhappy with how it went, then I'll just bin it and we won't we won't present it. So you just got wow. to write a veto. But but yeah. but at least one party wasn't interested. So huh. and and just wanted to keep doing it online. Yeah. So you know you have to question whether they really were hoping to resolve an understanding of something or whether they were just enjoying the fight and uh, yeah. Didn't really want yeah. resolution, yeah. but look on, yeah. on the up, on the positive side, it's probably a, in a way it's a it's a, it's an outlet for people, short of going down the pub and you know having it out with someone physically. It, it's it's relatively non-violent on the internet. It's rude, and I I like you, Matt. I don't enjoy. Sorry, Brett, is it Matt? No, it's Matt. Go back to Matt. Back yep. to Matt. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I I um I follow one or two pages regularly. I don't enjoy people bad mouthing each other, even in text. I don't think it's necessary. I think people should be able to have a civil discussion without calling each other idiots or morons or dickheads or you know whatever. Yeah. Um, some people just can't seem to help themselves. Yeah, um, and I think you know some some are just belligerent and. Um, you know, some are, some are, I guess, cowardly because they would never do that in person. But uh, I think that that sort of brings to the um, the other side of the problem, which is that, especially with like political discussions, people tend to take them so personally and react so viscerally to things mm. um, that you know challenge challenge their deeply held beliefs. And I think. Uh, well, there's another podcast that I want to, you know, steal your, your thunder, guys, but mm-hmm. there's another podcast called You Are Not So Smart, and they like that um, Thinking Fast and Slow book that you mentioned a while back. They they talk about all these psychological uh, factors which cause people to, you know, react the, the way they do, and there's there's a whole series that they do about why people are not convinced, you know, why people dig their heels in. Yep. when there's information that they don't like. And there are some things like political belief that people actually react to viscerally because they're so um, they're so closely held and so integral to the persona that they actually react with like a, a fear sort of fight or flight response. Yep. So, yeah, just for, for some reason it, it has sort of turned out that way. And I think it's, it's definitely part of the problem because you can't really just throw facts at someone and all of a sudden, you know, they'll they'll think, you know, Donald Trump is an idiot or something like that. That's because right. If if they've sort of gone in with that sort of, you know, with that attitude to start with, it it takes more than just facts to change their mind, especially if it's something, you know, like identifying as a as a conservative or something like that. Yeah, um, Matt, how long have you been listening to the podcast? Um, about a year and a half, I suppose. Okay. You, you probably, yeah. in that case, what's that? Uh, you may or may not have heard episode 66, which was dealing with democracy for realists. Did you, uh, does that ring any bells? I, I think I, I came in in the 70s or 80s. So okay. Probably not. So, yeah. um, 
you know, dear listener, any of you out there who, um, if, if you need to go through the back catalogue, it's sitting there. But uh, there's a book which you might enjoy, um, Matt, called Democracy for Realists. And mm. it's quite, it's more of a textbook, lots of graphs, lots of statistics, but it's an analysis by these two guys looking at US elections and and basically proving that people vote for their tribe and then justify it later looking at the policies. But they'll basically decide on a tribe, accept that tribe, and then whatever the policies are of the tribe, they will then um, justify those. Um, yeah. That's uh, through various sorts of statistics they can look at, it's pretty clear cut that that's how democracy is currently working in America and probably working here as well because we're all the same in that sense. But some of the examples here, for example, in the 60s when John F. Kennedy was running for president, he, uh, of course, was Catholic and Catholics at that time always voted Republican. And there was just a huge spike in the vote by Catholics for the Democrats simply because JFK, a Catholic, was running for the Democrats. And it really tore some people apart who were traditional Republican voters because their identities were suddenly in conflict and they didn't know what to do because they identified as Republican and they identified as Catholic. And for the first time ever, that Catholic one was sending them in the direction of the Democrats. So nothing to do with policies. It wasn't that his policies were anything particularly different to what was going on. It was merely about identity. Another interesting one was that um, in the 2014-2015 US House of Representatives, 98% of districts with black majorities elected black representatives. Conversely, just 5% of districts with white majorities elected African-American representatives. Mm -hmm. So white people vote for white people, black for black. It's an identity thing. And, yeah, that's how our democracy is working at the moment. Um, Yeah, and it's like my understanding is that that's that's not just, uh, you know, who you vote for. It's also just your general attitudes and Mm. I, I guess, you know, what you value. So, you know, if you, uh, I don't know, if you like Barnaby Joyce, you are going to be instantly defending him for his recent, you know, transgressions and saying, of course he doesn't need to be fired. What are you talking about? It's a personal issue. Yep. But the thing is, you would have decided he's an okay guy first Mm -hmm. and, you know, formed that attitude and then later on filled in facts to you know, to try and defend that. And yep. that's kind of, that. that's why just throwing facts at people doesn't usually change their mind. And I think, I don't think it's going to change, Matt, because my theory is that this is how we've been evolutionarily designed because we evolved as, as tribal species and you had to maintain a position in the tribe. If you were thrown out, you were dead and you just didn't survive. So if you had that sort of tendency, it got bred out of the system. So loyalty to the tribe is something that's just inbuilt, hardwired into us. And 
Um, if you're going to shift people's opinions on things, you have to offer them an alternative tribe that they'll feel safe and warm in, and then they'll adopt the ideology of that tribe, I think, is how you do it. And the problem, yeah, um, you know, yeah, we're talking about like, rationalists like, and atheists and and that sort of community. Why are we struggling to get traction? And um, because we're a tribe. Because we're not a tribe. That's right. We're not, we're not cohesive. It's like herding cats. That's right. We don't have a common myth that we believe in. We just have a bunch of things that we disbelief, which isn't a thing that's coherent to bind people together. And the failure of yeah. the Atheist World Conference is a case in point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... The cancellation, I meant to say. Yeah, because we you know, if you believe in a myth, as in the religious myth, then you'll just keep going to things that you've heard a thousand times before. But if you don't believe in the myth, then you go, well, I've heard that information before. I'll move on and get my information. I'll move on to something else. Look for something more interesting and more engaging. I think so. Yeah. 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 No, no you're, you're absolutely right. And that's why when you, know, when, when you first called, I said I'd probably phrased mm. that topic wrong because I don't think we need to necessarily deal with tribalism because, like you said, we're, we're tribal creatures. We need to be in these groups and we need to belong. But I think the, um, you know, the lack of actual personal contact in the online world anyway, it's created this sort of weird artificial tribe. Um, and so, you know, what we really need to do is just get more actual proper tribalism. And I'm not saying, you know, just quit your job and run off into the forest, but I mean, there are people who say that that's the healthiest way for humans to to actually interact, but I guess in in online dealings anyway, just you know try and throw a bit more humanity into it, like the the occasional you know joke or bit of humor or even you know like your mother probably has told you, just you know be a bit polite, use your manners, and, and, and then that that probably helps with the the just ferocity. And I suppose the division that these sort of things cause. And so if you can, I don't know if this is actually bringing together, you know, a, a secularist tribe or something, but if people can actually get along a little bit better online, they may be more likely to say, you know, turn up to a secular party meeting or something like that. So yeah, um, we, we, you know, we, we are tribal creatures. We need that. I just think it needs to be maybe made a bit healthier. Yeah, and I think if somebody's trying to organise the secular atheist movement in some way, then just relying on online isn't going to cut it. You need to get people together face to face. Um, in even some even just on the phone. Yeah. Even you know this is yep. yeah you know this is world world better than just arguing uh, in a world where a you know putting a full stop at the end of the sentence makes you sound like an asshole. Yep. And it may even mean that uh, those of us who see ourselves as secularists, as fair-minded, who, like Martin, Martin Luther King Jr., wanted to have us all judged by the, our character rather than our skin colour or any other uh, you know, external identifying features, we may be doomed to failure because I agree with the Trevor that we, we do have these inbuilt, what's the word, uh, deep default modes mm. that right. make us act in ways that are often counterproductive and um, 
antisocial in a sense, aren't they? We, 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 we'd all like to see a world where we treat each other fairly and without any sort of obvious discrimination based on irrational factors. But, you know... If, if the group ideology says that's what we're going to do, then do, that's what we're going to do. Are we for too much? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The, do you know, I, I, th- I think if I can mention one more thing, Matt, and I think I agree with what you've said, and I, I think it's in a way getting worse. The tribalism is in, in a sense getting worse and all our efforts as secularists to break down these um, irrational discriminatory barriers between each other is being made more difficult, not only by um, uh, campaigns like the anti-same-sex marriage campaign, but by those who claim to be on the right side repeatedly, repeatedly calling people privileged white males. Now, why on earth our skin colour has anything to do with it is beyond me. And I think it just makes, it just hardens people's conception that, yes, we are divided into these uh, subgroups based on skin colour, where, in fact, we shouldn't be talking about skin colour at all. It should be the least most important thing that we use to determine a whether a person is a, a, a worth, worthy of membership in our society. So I'd like to see everybody stop referring to people according to their skin colour. It's, it's really quite irrelevant, you know? Um, yeah, it, w- it, would be, it would be lovely, but I think there are, you know, a lot of people who maybe just, you know, foster, foster old grievances or they've been convinced um, that you know, it, it still matters. So, but yeah, it's often white people that say it. You know, yeah, they say, yeah, "Oh, but yeah, but you're a you're a, you're a middle aged white male." You know, so yeah. therefore, your opinion is invalid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's like what what would have convinced them of that is, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, that's the right, ideology it's, it's the of, of their tribe, of, it's of the their I- left-wing it's the social justice warrior tribe. Yeah. That's that's mm. the ideology of that tribe. So yeah. that's the yeah, problem. Yeah. So they just so so they just uh, side side with that, um, you know, that ideology, and then fill in the facts later. Yes. Mm. See, what needs yeah. to happen, I think, is is you've got to offer people an alternative tribe. And rather than these ethnic tribes, uh, the tribe should be working class or, or, or middle class or, or poor or, or, or just, you know, below the 50 percentile class. That's the class that needs to band together and stop some of the crazy stuff that's happening at the top end where we're having corporate tax tax cuts and all sorts of other yes. things happening rather than, you know, this is the thing about um, Abdul Mad- Yasmin Abdul-Majid, you know, she was always on about um, people of colour and, and et cetera, but she, sh- you know, with the, that sort of platform should have been about the working class and the disappearing middle class and fighting mm. for everybody in that situation rather than particular segments based on skin colour. So you have to yeah. cre- get people moving to the working class tribe and out of the ethnic tribe into the working class tribe, I think. Mm. Totally agree. I mean, 
the whole um, subject of class struggle seems to have been lost in the struggle to identify as white coloured, you know, African, Aboriginal, whatever. Uh, yep. You know, whereas we all know that all white people are not wealthy, all so-called coloured people are not poor, mm. and yet that seems to be the defining feature that some people are interested in now. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And, um, you know, that's traditionally the, the, the way that people would keep power in societies is, you know, you keep the serfs fighting each other or fighting some, you know, some external enemy, whereas you just, you know, sit there at the top and, yep. you know, laugh away, I suppose. So um, I guess, I guess, Trevor, what you're saying is that we need to kind of form, you know, form a, a, a more meaningful tribe. Yes, somehow. Yeah. So, <laughs> Based somehow. on what? <laughs> Hey, hey, I'm so flat not, out running a podcast on. here. I can't solve all the problems. No, of the I, I agree with you, not Trevor. I'd just on, like you yeah. to, you know, come up with some sort of identifying features of our new tribe that we need. Okay, I'll let me work on it. Okay. Well, I'll just I like, give you one. We'll class. give you two weeks. Okay? I, like, I like that blue face paint they used in, um, in Braveheart, so maybe we could try that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Matt, have you got anything else you want to add? Otherwise, we'll wind it up. Um, oh, well, you know, you could go on and on, but I, I, I guess, yeah, you know, just whatever, whatever we end up doing, let's just try and encourage, you know, real mm. human interactions mm. and not these just ridiculous, you know, vicious things that end up happening online where you just end up walking away from it going, man, mm. secular party people are assholes. Yeah. You know, because that, that doesn't really solve anything. It doesn't change their mind because. Mm. Their values are the things that determine that. And, um, you know, let's just, I suppose, let's just try and get along and actually, yeah, from time to time pick up the phone or, you know, pick up the, the mic as you guys do. And yeah. Whereabouts do you live, Matt? Uh, I'm in, in Brisbane, in Paddington. Oh, there you go. Okay. We, sh- we, should have a, we should have an Iron Fist Velvet Glove get-together of people so we can meet face-to-face. That's you know, the sort of thing we should be doing. A pubcast. Yeah, we should we should have a... We should, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm away for a couple of weeks, but um, we'll put that on the agenda where we um, get together. Anyone in southeast Queensland, you know, Brisbane Gold Coast, wants to get together for a drink and and practice what we're preaching here, Matt. Yeah. Well, you know, it's getting atheists together is like herding cats, right? Because, mm. Mm. you know, the, the thing that unites us is just not not buying some crazy old story. So it's it's yeah. a bit it's a bit hard, but you know, it's what what else can we do right now? You know, you can't solve the solve the whole uh the problem in one little call. Mm. You did mention the secular yeah. party, Matt. Yes. Now should I assume you follow the secular party Facebook page? I do, yeah. Oh good on you. I'm not I'm not not a member though. Okay. Um I have I have sort of you know mixed feelings about joining political parties in mm-hmm. general, but understandable. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely the one that I I guess you know most identify with. Mm. Yeah, I, I follow that page myself, and I like you. I find some of the um, commentary a little bit off-putting, but you know I figure it's it's just text on a screen. It's not fists in my face and. Um, 
you know, I, th- I think we have to be careful not to get too sensitive about language. I, I agree people should be more civil and I wish they would be, but I, I don't want to. I don't want us to become this um, group of you know ultra delicate. You know the, the term snowflake is often used, but I, I think yeah. we have to be a little bit uh, willing to you know give it and take it a little bit because we're not yeah. landing physical blows after all. But, but well, there's a commentator on that page called Bangalong something or other, and he just annoys the. Crap out of me to the point where I, I I really don't really follow that page anymore because that's a pity. Yeah, Joe. it's sort of because he's he sort of vandalised the comment well, section, I, and I don't want to waste. I feel like I'm wasting my time then when I'm reading stuff where yeah. he's vandalised the comment thread. So he doesn't do yeah. the damage. I don't think that you attribute to him. I think you you give him too much. Uh, too much weight. I, I, you know, he's he's just one of many, and uh, he's by no means the most rude. But I, you know, I personally, I, you know, I look at what he says sometimes, and other times I just ignore it because oftentimes he says quite stupid stuff, and once or twice he makes a you know relatively intelligent comment, and I think, yeah, okay. That's a bit more like it. That's a bit more in keeping with the conversation on the page. But, you know, um, I, I don't think he has the impact that you attribute to him, Trevor, anyway. Mm. No, you, you certainly need to pick your battles because, uh, you know, sometimes you do see things that are, uh, you know, they, they do get to you. So, um, you know, in, in terms of that arena, like that's mm. one, one piece of advice I can recommend is just pick your battles, you know, yeah. decide if, if this hill is worth dying on, um, <laughs> because don't forget, it's you, it's you versus, it's you versus the entire world, just about. Yeah, it's very you know. gladiatorial that you're sort of yes. picture you're painting there. Great imagery. Yeah. Um, but you know that's that's how it feels sometimes. But yeah. and you know that's that's not such a problem. But I guess you know the the main point is that that kind of interaction is often taking over real human interaction. Mm. And that's, you know, that's, that's the big part of the problem for me. Mm. So if, if you're going to spend time in that arena, just try and be a little bit more human, you know, throw yes. emojis, uh, say hello, say I thank agree. you, throw I a agree. bit of humor, you know, take away the sort of, uh, I guess, robotic, just throwing facts at people. Mm. Um, and of course, realize that it takes, you know, usually more than facts to sway someone's, um, you know, someone's values is really what you're going after. Mm, mm, so, you know, is it, is it worth it? Mm. There's, yeah, there's I think it's worth that. it because, yeah. uh, you know, we live in Brisbane, but a lot of the people on the page live in other parts of Australia, other parts of the world. And, you know, if we didn't have that internet forum, we probably would never hear those people's thoughts. So I personally think it, it has immense value in terms of exchanging ideas across vast distances that as would not otherwise not be available. Shouting matches. Yeah. Well, as shouting as matches as or whatever. But <laughs> I mean, you, you can, if, you, if you have the patience, you can see through the shouting match and see past it to the, the times when you do get some very meaningful exchanges of ideas and opinions and 
I think it has immense value. I mean, I regularly uh, exchange ideas with people on the other side of the planet, you know, mm. in America, in Europe, uh, occasionally other countries, and that's just, for me, it's amazing. It, just... it is amazing, but our, our brains are not evolved that way <laughs> okay. yet, so we still need to bear, bear that, yes. you know. We still have lizard brains. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, monkey, monkey brains. Yeah. Hey, Matt, we've got one more listener that we're going to do on this um, episode, and I'm sort of at the time where I said I'd call them. So uh, I'll wind it up with you, and thanks for getting in touch, and keep listening, and in a few weeks' time, we'll organise some sort of meet-up with people um, for a, I don't know, Sunday afternoon drink at a pub somewhere or something like that would be good. So, um, yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah. The first Iron Fist and Velvet Glove pubcast. That's it, yeah. So... Alrighty, thanks, Matt, for for joining us, and um, and we'll be in touch. Awesome, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks See you, Matt. Bye. What one may ask is the difference between youth and age. It is the following, probably. In your youth, you meet every day with thirty-eight or forty people of your age in school or college, and out of this number build friendships, alliances, rivalries, or sexual passions with 18 or 22. These become your intimate world, the field of honour on which you are tested, the jury before which you plead your cause. To these might be added the drama group, the choir, the tennis club, the chess club, the church congregation you are in. You see them less often, once or twice a week, but they add up to 30 or 40 people your age or near it, with whom you are in regular, intimate contact. But once you leave college or go to another town, the 18 or 20 peers you see each day is reduced to three or four, and the choir and tennis club members who migrated with you likewise to one or two. It is a crisis of discontinuity, and, though you do not suspect it, the end of youth. If you stay in the same town and half your friends do also, the number of times you see them is drastically reduced. A weekly gathering in a pub will soon peter out as fiancés are required, marriages attempted and mewling infants distract and unsettle your old acquaintance. A weekly poker game can acrimoniously dissipate. The tennis club may persist for a while, but the reducing numbers will mark each year the passing of time. By the age of 38, you will be seeing two friends once a month, by 50, four friends once a year. High school and college reunions may resurrect, for a time, old intimacies and spice with a passing adultery, a memory of old love. But the numbers, the numbers you took for granted in your adolescence, never come again. Old age is when there is only you, your wife, a pestiferous neighbour, and the occasional Skyped image of your son or daughter from another hemisphere, and their children speaking a foreign tongue. And the new friends you see twice weekly at the workers' club or once a month in the book club. And the feeling of age derives from the loss of the gang you were once in, at school or college, who you never see now and may write the odd Christmas card to. There are people you love, Barry Humphreys, ghostly character, Sandy Stone, of theirs, and you never see them. And there are people you can't stand, and you see them all the time. 
Age is therefore an unwilled forgetting of the good, the glad, the loved, by broken contact with those you knew and knew well when you were young. A faltering memory begins, and then dementia. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.